is a very familiar story, one that we probably have heard over and over, but there are some things that we probably have missed. Let us listen with new ears to the story of Moses in the basket. We remember that the context for this is fear of the Hebrew slaves and the attempt on the part of Pharaoh to get rid of the Hebrew slaves. So let us listen. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it in the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. Pharaoh's daughter saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child and he was crying and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. So Moses' mother, the woman, took the child and nursed it. And when the child grew up, she brought her to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. She named him Moses, because, she said, I drew him out of the water. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy God, maker of heaven and earth, you are our help. You are our hope. You watch over us. You devise ways of saving lives. Speak to us of your saving love and grace, the power of all the ways in which you work through us and in us to make of us your people gathered together in your love. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I don't know how it started. It could have been the birch bark little canoe made by the Shakopee Indians of Minnesota.
or the black pattern coyote tracks that came on the crafts from the Papago Indians. I am quite certain that the elephant grass Bolga from Ghana had a lot to do with it, but somehow my mother became addicted to baskets. Yes, baskets. And so she began to collect baskets of every size and shape, the tiny little baskets that could hold jewelry, the classic picnic baskets, baskets in the shape of bowls or for bags or made of pine needles, colorful baskets with tightly woven lids. Visiting her house is a tour of the art of basketry and textile design, color, pattern, and all of their great variety. And in all of their great variety, baskets are meant to hold things, containers for goods and grain, for picnics. They carry and are held together. Baskets keep things together and safe. Baskets, of course, one of the oldest arts or crafts in human history. But because they are organic and don't last, the oldest basket that we have is 12,000 years old and comes from Egypt, where we know that there is a basket that saved a life. Setting again the context for this story, we have a world characterized by fear, terror, even genocide, and daring acts of subversion that we might call fate. This is a time when the Hebrew people had become numerous and they were slaves in Egypt and a king, the pharaoh, became afraid of the massive number of slaves that he had and how strong they were. And he was afraid of what they might do if they ever decided that they no longer wished to be slaves. And so, the first thing that he did was make them work harder, to try to wear them down. He employed brutal tactics, but the people only got stronger. Well, fear can make people crazy. And so the second thing the king tried was that the baby boys not survive childbirth. But some midwives conspired with God and decided to tell the king, well, we couldn't get there in time. Those Hebrew babies, you know, they're stronger than the Egyptian babies. And well, they, we can't get there in time, and they're born and live and thrive. So finally, what did the king do? The boy ordered that all baby boys should be thrown into the Nile. It is at this time in our story that a man and a woman have a baby and devise a plan to try to save him. His mother gets a basket and covers it to make it waterproof. She does exactly as Pharaoh commands and puts him in the Nile, right near the place where she knows 
Pharaoh's daughter comes. Miriam, Moses' older sister, goes to see what will happen. And of course, the princess finds the basket and the baby. And in that moment, a decision is made. Can I get someone to nurse this baby for you? She knows Sarah all well that this is a Hebrew slave child, and her father has demanded that he not live. And in that instance, Pharaoh's daughter saves that baby and rejects the fear and rejects the violence and uses power to save rather than destroy life. This is a conspiracy of women. Slave and free, slave and master, oppressor and oppressed of different nations, different languages, different people, different religions, come together. God is never even mentioned in this story. And yet, we know that God is part of this conspiracy for God will raise up Moses and use Moses as God's own leader to part the waters of the sea and lead God's people to freedom. God weaves a basket of slave and master oppressed and oppressor, mothers, daughters, sisters. God weaves together disparate material into a basket to hold and carry and preserve life. One of the glaring truths coming out of our nation's experience in Ferguson, Missouri, is that racism is very much alive. I don't believe that it ever completely died. I believe that it has always been here. But circumstances have brought it to the forefront and are demanding that we see it, that we be honest about it, and that we combat it. We see it in the fear. The fear that white police have of young black men, and in the fear that the people of Ferguson, black and white, but most especially black, have fear of the white police. Now, the standard for using deadly force is reasonable fear of an imminent threat. But who decides what is reasonable fear? especially in a case of race? And what is unreasonable fear? And who will define that? We know that fear divides, and fear can make us crazy. When we are afraid, we go into that fight or flight, and when we have fight or flight between police and a community or a suspect, it is deadly. 
there is an anger and a rage that has been contained and burst out. And it will continue to do so, creating ever more cycles of fear and violence and fear. As a nation, as a people of followers of Jesus Christ, this is an opportunity for us to examine our racism and prejudice and to make different choices, courageous choices, conspire together with God against fear and violence and anger. We have the opportunity, like those women, to reject fear and resist violence and use our power to save lives. So each one of us must examine our own hearts and minds. We must be honest about the ways in which we were raised and who we were taught to fear. I do not believe that there is a person alive in the United States who has not been impacted by racism. It is a disease we have not cured. And saying that we don't have it won't make it go away. We need to be able to tell the truth about our fear. We need to examine the roots of prejudice and how we have experienced discrimination because it happens to all of us in different circumstances. And we need to examine how we have participated in discrimination and systems of discrimination. We all profess that we are not racist. And we like to call somebody else that. We've been shaped by forces that give us our own prejudices. And we must struggle. The second thing that we have to do is build relationships and reach across the barriers of difference and fear. In our neighborhoods, in our schools, we must work to build community. We all know this. If you remember the Rodney King riots and how awful that was, and we see vestiges, but the LAPD has worked for 20 years. The police know people in the community, and they've built relationships. They patrolled peaceful protests with officers dressed in polo shirts and riding bicycles. They know about fear. Church people know that the officers know their name. Voices get heard. It has been 20 long years. And it's not perfect. I don't know the balance. Between some community building and that which feels oppressive community building. But I know 
that when a young black man, Edsel Ford, was shot and killed by police two days after Mr. Brown in LA, we did not have a Ferguson. Nobody wants the violence. We must have justice, not at the expense of peace. But as people are saying, without justice, there be, be no peace. In addressing the crisis in Ferguson, the Reverend Dr. James Herbert Nelson from our own Presbyterian Washington office has called on churches to use our power to save lives, to continue to work to end gun violence and say in a clear and loud voice, this is my brother, this is my sister, and I will not accept that his life or her life is less valuable than mine. And we must come to church because God has built a basket. God has woven us into a community of faith where we share each other's joys and burdens of illness and sorrow. This is the place where we are that basket around our children and we teach them about God's love in Jesus Christ who connected with people who were different from him and taught us to love our neighbors as ourselves. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This helps to get talk about how we live in the world. We are fortunate to live in a community that is diverse. We are fortunate to be in a church that reaches across boundaries. We are fortunate to have TAPS and have Miriam's Kitchen. We are fortunate to be connected in a city with leaders of faith who are Muslim and Jewish and Hindu. We are fortunate to be Presbyterians as part of a global network where we reach out and use our power that encompasses children at the borders and peacemaking efforts in the Middle East. We are part of God's conspiracy against fear rejecting violence, and using our power to save lives. So here we are. Elephant grass, ash, oak, willow, sweet grass, birch bark, coconut leaves. You choose who you are. God has gathered us together. God has soaked us in the waters of baptism. This God takes us and shapes us, bends us, and weaves us together into the church. 
God weaves of us a basket and seals us with the Holy Spirit that we may be afloat in the chaos of our world and our lives. This is a basket of faith, even in fear. It is a basket of hope and courage. It is a basket in which God holds us and carries us always keeping us in God's love and care forever. Amen.